you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Joshua, the second chapter. We continue the series that we've been preaching for several weeks now, and there's no way to sugarcoat the harsh tale that's before us this morning that we consider in Joshua, the second chapter. This is what you might call the anti-fairy tale. In Joshua, the second chapter, we're looking at the other end of the spectrum of a young woman who finds a husband. That's what we've been speaking on for some weeks now. And I've heard a couple of the sisters, the younger sisters, say things like, well, do you think I'll ever find someone? Or is there any hope for me? Or things like that. Let me tell you something. If you see the example found in Joshua, the second chapter this morning, and come away thinking, well, there's no hope for me, (laughs) then you're not looking at it right. Because we have before us this morning the account of Rahab, the harlot. And the title of this message is From House of the Dead to the House of Bread. Because that's the kind of house that Rahab had. It was a house of the dead. That's what the proverb says. Speaking of the strange woman. Speaking of the woman who flatters with her lips. The woman who uses her body as a tool. It says that those that go unto her, that her steps lead, the steps of her house lead to death and the dead are there. So literally you have Rahab who is operating a house of the dead. But she goes from this house of the dead to a house of bread. And we'll speak of that and what that means. But there's no cute title to sugarcoat what we have before us this morning. But the reality is that Rahab, this harlot, goes from a nightmare, living a nightmare, to living the dream. She's not a faithful widow like Ruth, who was taking care of her depressed old mother-in-law. And she's not the hopeless romantic. If she was, any notions of the hopeless romantic idea had long passed away when she had gone into the occupation that she was in. She's not like the Shulamite, the hopeless romantic. She's not the lovely, beautiful, attractive orphan, Esther, who was raised up by an incredibly loving, adoptive father. But this is Rahab. Many theologians and commentators through the years have tried to sugarcoat who Rahab was. They say, well, I know the Bible says that she was a harlot, which, to put it in simple terms, means a girlfriend for hire. Uh, Many of the commentators say, well, I know it says that she was a harlot, but we believe that she just actually was an innkeeper. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. She's not an innkeeper. The Word of God is so trustworthy for you and for me that it gives you the good, the bad, and it's mostly the ugly. (laughs) You want to think about the Word of God, it's, it's got good and it's got bad in it, but it's mostly ugly. It gives you the ugly picture of who Rahab was. It gives you the ugly picture of men like David and Samson and others, Solomon. You see, that's how you can trust the Word of God. It'll tell you the truth. And it's also telling you the truth about you and about me. So if the love song of Ruth was a widow's second chance at love, and the love song of the Shulamite was the song of songs, Solomon's, and if Esther's love song was Here Comes the Queen... (laughs) About the only song that I could think of that would apply to Rahab would be the House of the Rising Sun. There's no way to sugarcoat what's going on in Rahab's 
life. There's no greater uh, broken life than Rahab than you could see in the scripture. And if you remember when we talked about that barley harvest romance, that was a real practical approach. Doesn't apply here, does it? We talked about uh, the Shulamite, the, the Valentine in the vineyard. She was the hopeless romantic doing what she was required to do. And, and she met the king. And then the very bizarre tale of Babylon's Got Talent, where the orphan girl goes to being the king who delivers an entire nation. We don't have any of that here, do we? So the reason I'm belaboring that point is, as Brother Luke has already wonderfully preached about how our salvation our eternal salvation, you can only credit that back to the Lord. And so I belabor this point to help you see that the only thing that you can credit Rahab's life back to is the Lord. The only way she can go from the house of the dead to the house of bread is the Lord has intervened in a mighty way, in the strangest of places. And that's just how good God is. It makes you confused a little bit whenever you see a verse where it speaks of the strange woman in Proverbs and it says that her, her steps go down to death and the dead are there and none return unto her. And yet you see someone like Rahab who was in actually operating one of those houses and you see what God does in her life and you think, well, that just doesn't match up because she wasn't living the way she should live. She wasn't you know, hitting all the check marks or whatever. Let me tell you something, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And if you can't take a lesson from that, then you can't, you can't be taught. <laughs> you see, because guess what? In your sins, in your deadness, in who you are, before God intervened in your life, whatever, at whatever point that was where He touched your heart and born you again and gave you life, none of us are any better than Rahab. We are adulterers and we are harlots that have gone away in the sin of Adam and in our own nature, in our own choice, we go away from God. So you can only come to the conclusion that all glory goes to God for your life, for the life of Rahab, for the glory that God gets out of this terrible circumstance. So let's read Joshua chapter two. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, behold, there came men and hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. Apparently the king knew about this house of ill repute. <laughs> and the woman took the two men and hid them, said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not, I don't know. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them had gone, they sh uh, after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up under them on the roof. And she said unto the men, this is Rahab talking, I know that the Lord, that's Jehovah, by the way, hath given you the land. And she says, I know that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, which were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my Father's house 
And give me a true token and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. There is so much that could be unpacked out of those few verses. But what an amazing testimony to the grace of God that in the midst of a heathen nation, in the midst of a house of ill repute, a brothel, a harlot's house, not just some nice little inn where you would go and stay, but a harlot's house that we would find one of the greatest confessions in the Old Testament to the glory of God above. And so Rahab basically brokers a deal with these two spies and says, I've saved your life. When you come back, we know you're going to destroy this this land. You're going to destroy our city. And when you come back, please spare me and my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And so you know how the story goes here? She lets them down by a scarlet cord, a scarlet line, a scarlet thread, if you will. But it was bigger than just a little thread. Of course, it was a rope. And she lets them down by the city wall because her house was on the wall of the city. And they go their way and they tell her that if you utter anything about our deal, then the deal's off. (laughs) But when we come, if you'll take that scarlet line and you'll bind it in your window so they can see it from the outside when they come and circle around the city those many days that they're going to do, probably two or three months down the road, maybe six months down the road. They say, bind that scarlet line in the window. And when we come, we'll deliver you. We'll honor our agreement. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, what in the world does this have to do with this woman finding a spouse? (laughs) Just hang with me. We'll get there. (laughs) It has everything to do with it because it lays the foundation and the groundwork for us to see that God can intervene and he can work in any terrible circumstance that there is. He doesn't cause them. He doesn't bring them on. But he's able to interrupt. He's able to overcome. And he's able to, able to overrule. And if you've lived any, point, any, any time in life and you've had the providence of God intervene in your life, you can say, in addition to the, what the brothers have already said, you can say a hearty amen to that. Because that's how God works. And so Rahab takes the scarlet line and she binds it in her window. But she's the only one that knows what that means. I don't think that even when her family came in there to be delivered, when she finally somehow amazingly convinced them to come to her house, (laughs) you know, no doubt they were ashamed of her occupation and what she did. You know, I say they were ashamed, but this culture was such a ruined and fallen culture. Who knows? Maybe they weren't. (laughs) That makes me think of our country today. You know, a lot of times people don't even know to be ashamed of things. You know, we, it says in the book of Jeremiah and some other places that, we, that many times with our sins, the people, they had no shame. See, they didn't know to be ashamed. But I, I believe that we, we could safely say that this was the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. And no doubt her folks, her parents were ashamed of her. And somehow she convinced them to come to her house. Now, this has everything to do with her finding a spouse. And you'll see that in a few minutes. From going to the house of the dead to the house of bread. So you may say, well, is there any hope for me? And I'm not just talking to the young sisters. I'm talking to people of all ages. And and whatever sin may apply to our, is there any hope for me? I tell you, if there was hope for Rahab, there's hope for you. (laughs) And so here we find that Rahab binds the scarlet line in the window. I wonder how many times that neighbors or people walked past and said, hey, what's that? What you got up in your window? I saw you got a new design up there, some kind of new decoration. She would just have to play it off somehow. Yeah, it's a beautiful scarlet line. But she knew in her heart what that scarlet line meant. It meant deliverance. 
It meant that whenever the children of Israel came and blew the trumpet, she didn't know any of that was going to happen that way. But when they came and the walls of Jericho fall down, she knew that it meant deliverance. So she goes from a harlot to being a hero. She goes eventually from the house of the dead to the house of bread. So don't miss this. Here is Rahab running a house of ill repute in this wicked pagan city of Jericho. And Rahab, you know, you have these, you have these pivotal moments in your life, don't you? You know, it, a pivotal moment in your life doesn't happen every day, does it? <laughs> you know, those are moments that come along and you have the opportunity to do right. You have the opportunity to do wrong. You know, I can think back through the years, and I'm not just talking about for me, but having been involved in several pivotal moments in, in different people's lives. And you think about those pivotal moments. You, know, you can go left or you can go right. You think of your own pivotal moments. And you probably had more than one. Some of you younger guys may be thinking, well, I can't wait till I get to mine. <laughs> and I understand that. I get that. You're, at, you're chomping at the bit to do the right thing when the opportunity comes along. But it's not all wine and roses. There's a lot of temptation there. And there's a lot of struggle there. An internal struggle. You know, how do I manage this? How do I do this? And this was a moment like that for Rahab. She is the owner and the, the one who operates this house of ill repute. And these two men who she recognizes are not from around here and are men of Israel. And she knows why they've come. And she takes a big chance, does she not? You know, they could have just, just ran and, and took off or jumped out the side of the wall, climbed down and took off. But she takes a big chance. She states to them first. She states, we know that your God is the true God. We know that your God has delivered our country, our nation, our city into your hands. That's some kind of knowledge to have. And by the way, nobody knows the math on this for sure. Some say that maybe Rahab was about 10 years old whenever the things happened over there and the Red Sea was parted. Because you know, 40 years have passed and now Moses is dead and Joshua is now the leader of the nation. Under God, of course. So some say, well, maybe she was about 10 and now she's, you know, if you add 40 to that, maybe she's 50. You say, well, that's a little, little too old to be looking for a spouse and getting married or whatever, having kids. But, you know, the time frames were a little bit different in those days. So 50 might have, you know how you say, well, 40 is the new 30. You know, well, for me, 50 is the new 40, you know. <laughs> Y'all get that in a minute. But, you know, maybe 50 was like being 30 back in those days. You know, because they lived a little bit longer. They might live to 100 or 120 like Abraham did and others. Who knows for sure, but for whatever reason or however she knew about it, she knew that the Red Sea had been parted and she knew that the land was delivered to these men. They'd heard what had happened, that it wasn't even a contest. They destroyed the Egyptians. God had destroyed the Egyptians. The God of heaven and earth had destroyed the Egyptians. And the God of heaven and earth had destroyed those two other nations that threatened Israel. So... Think about it. For 40 years, Fox News and CNN has been blaring in Jericho. The country's dead. The country's dying. You know, we got to do this. We got to do that. It's been nothing but gloom and doom for 40 years. How in the world could this, little, this young woman be able to have any kind of positive attitude when Fox and CNN have been blaring day after day after day. It's gloom and doom. You're going to die. The country's going to go down. You know, the country's going to... Think about it. That's what was going on. They all knew that their hearts melted. When you turn on Fox or CNN, does your heart melt? <laughs> Mine does. 
I turn it on and I go, oh my goodness, that just happened. Oh my goodness, they just did that. Oh my goodness, they just passed that law. Oh my goodness, you know, so-and-so got elected. Oh my goodness. If your heart's melting because of those things, then guess what? I've told you how many times, and I love you, and I'm telling you again, turn it off. Something in Rahab's life caused her to turn those things off. Otherwise, think about it. Why would she take the chance and say to them, save our family? She knew there was hope. She knew there was a chance there that if she could just be kind to these people, maybe they would be kind back to her. She had no idea if they would. But she got past the gloom and doom. And by the way, this was a a much different situation back then than it is today with all the gloom and doom that's out there. They knew that they had a death sentence on their nation. It was a death sentence. And they've been thinking about that for 40 years since the Israelites had destroyed, God had destroyed the Egyptians and God had destroyed those other two kingdoms on the other side of the Jordan River. And yet still, she has hope. (laughs) Isn't that a great testimony for all of us to have hope? It doesn't matter what Fox and CNN is saying. It, you know, Fox and CNN commentators are not here this morning, are they? Have you looked around? Do you see any? Oh, if you do, I'd like to talk to them. You say, well, Brother Tim, you'd like to give them what's what, right? No, I'd like to preach the gospel to them. I'd like to tell them about some hope. I'd like to give them some hope, you see? You know, you say, well, if our legislators, if our congressmen, if our senator, if the president, if the vice president, if this, if they were just here, you know, I'd get my finger in their face. Shame on us if we think that way. <laughs> because that's what Rahab in her nature should have done. Got the finger in the face of those spies and said, what do you mean coming down here and destroying our way of life? What do you mean that you're going to come down here and destroy everything that we have? Shame on us if we think that way. We should pray and we should preach the gospel and we should live the gospel. That's exactly what Rahab did. This woman who was a harlot, a girlfriend for hire, she doesn't point the finger in their face and say, you can't come down here and do this. I can't believe you're doing She doesn't do that. No, she begs them. She praises their God and she begs them for mercy. She said, I've shown you some kindness. You're not dead. I hid you. Would you show me a little kindness? And they say, yes. So she cuts a deal with them. And I think it's very telling. You say, oh, I know people that have struggled with this, struggled with that. Let me me back up and just put it to you this way. Some of you who have sons, your son shows up with his new girlfriend. He walks in and it's Ruth. And you know that you know about Ruth and you know what she's been through. And you're like, this is great. I know she's from over there at Moab, you know, but she left Moab. She's coming to the culture. This is wonderful. Right. Am I right? Am I losing my mind here? Ruth shows up with your son. You're happy. <laughs> Shulamite shows up on the arm of your son. Said, Mom, dad, here she is. How do you like her? She's great, isn't she? And you're like, yes, yeah, that's that little girl that was down there working so hard, picking grapes, you know, gathering grapes. This is a wonderful girl. I heard her singing down there. I think she was singing that song of Solomon. Wonderful, right? Your, your son shows up and on his arm, he's got Esther. Are y'all, are y'all with me? And here comes Esther. And she's that beautiful little orphan girl who was raised in the house of Mordecai. And they, they checked, the, they hit all the checklists and they did everything right. And she honored him. And she's the one that saved that nation, Remember? Here comes your son. He walks in the door and says, oh, who's he, who you got with you? This is Rahab. Uh, who is she? Uh, well, mom, dad, she, she ran a harlot's house down in Jericho. You remember Jericho? You know, that we destroyed. Can y'all picture that? You say, how, 
you know how mom and dad would be. They'd be like, oh, son, you know, we need to think about this. We need to think about this. Now, we need to pray about this hard. You say, well, how do we know if Rahab was repentant, if she was done with that lifestyle, if she was done with that bad decision making, if she was done with all that foolishness she was doing? You can read, can't you? It says right here that she asked to not only save herself, but save alive her father, her mother, her brethren, her sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. I tell you, she was concerned about others. You hear me? She didn't just say, save me and all of the employees that I have down here at this house of ill repute. No, she said, save the ones that I love. Save the ones that are near and dear to me. Save the ones that I have shamed in my life. Oh, listen, you remember Ruth, whenever she came back, think about the commonalities that are there between these women. Okay, you say there's no real commonality between Rahab and these others. Oh, yes, there is. I beg to differ. Ruth came back from Moab and she was taking care of that poor, depressed widow woman. She cared about her mother-in-law. And you see the example of the Shulamite. If you read on in the Song of Solomon, you'll find that she cared about her little sister and her siblings. Even though she was a little irritated at her siblings, she still cared about her family. What about Esther? That's a no-brainer, isn't it? Esther not only cared for Mordecai and honoring him when she became the queen, the top dog and the top queen in the entire nation, but she also saved her nation, her family, those that she was related to. And here we have in the strangest of places this woman who was a harlot, who's been touched by the Spirit of God, who's been burdened by the Spirit of God to do the right thing, and we find her asking to be delivered from death for her family. Isn't that precious? So some people would say, well, yeah, well, you know, if I could just get a clean break, <laughs> you know, if, if God would just come down, come and destroy Jericho for me, then I could start it all over. Let me tell you something. God has destroyed Jericho for you. The Jericho of your sins that were walls up to the heavens. God has destroyed your sin on the cross. Your Jericho has been toppled just like Rahab. It physically happened in her life. When those men came and they destroyed the city, it says that they went in where the line was in the window, the scarlet line, and that scarlet line bears testimony to the scarlet blood of Jesus. And I'm telling you, child of grace, that the scarlet blood of Jesus has covered your sins. From a Rahab to a Ruth to an Esther to whoever you may be, the scarlet line is in your window and you don't have to wait for the physical toppling of Jericho. You see? You have a clean break. Christ made that clean break on the cross. You know, there was a movie that was made in the late 80s. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. The older ones will remember it. And the movie was about a harlot who became married or engaged to a very rich man. And, I mean, there was a, the overall tone of the movie was, you know, from rags to riches kind of thing. But the stuff in between was just sickening and horrible and sinful. And some of you are thinking back, but I like that movie. Well, you shouldn't have. <laughs> You know, you could go think about it, look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, 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 your brother Tim's right. But I believe that that movie about a harlot going friends, and some of you are whispering right now, it was that movie, blah, blah, blah. I believe that that movie about this girlfriend for hire going from rags to riches, I, I believe personally that that did more to damage the, the thought process of young women. Because it glorified things that happened outside of marriage, you see. Now, if it had been like this, by the way, where do you think they got that from? There's nothing new under the sun. They got it, and they twisted it, and they perverted it from the account of Rahab. <laughs> so she goes from rags to riches. She goes from being this woman who was a girlfriend from hire, and she becomes the wife 
one of the greatest men that's ever been in the line of Judah. Look with me, if you would, to the book of Ruth, the fourth chapter. And in Ruth, the fourth chapter, we're given a genealogy of the ancestors of a little fellow named Obed. And I want you to look at this genealogy with me because this is the account of where... By the way, this ties back into another one of our dear sisters who found a husband, right? And so this is Ruth who marries Boaz. And Boaz and Ruth have a baby named Obed. And it says that these are the generations that precede Obed and Boaz and Ruth. Verse 18 of Ruth 4. These are the generations of Phares. Phares begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begat Amminadab. And Amminadab begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Salmon. And guess what? You'll read in 1 Chronicles that Salmon married Rahab. Salmon married Rahab. So literally that happened. Y'all understand? Salmon comes home one day to Nashon, his father, and says, Dad, I've chosen a wife. Well, who is she, son? What, what beautiful young girl among the nation of Israel have you chosen? He said, I've chosen Rahab. You see, this was not a risk. It was not a risk that Salmon was taking. Because it says whenever Rahab and her family were brought out of Jericho, it says at first that they dwelt without the camp. And you read a few verses down there in the book of Joshua, and it says that they dwelt with Israel even until this day. They became Israelites. They became proselytes. Like Ruth gave up her culture. See, Rahab gave up her lifestyle. She repented. She turned. She became a woman of virtue and of conviction. Regardless of how she got into it and regardless of the way that things went, God intervened and she went from the house of the dead to the house of bread. You know the first area that her, Rahab, and Salmon settled? This was the first generation in the promised land, right? This is the one that were related to Caleb. And they went down to the area south of Jerusalem, of Judah. And it says that that's where they established their borders. And you remember Caleb went and took that mountain? Well, here's somebody else that was a contemporary with Caleb. And his name was Salmon. They were cousins. And Salmon and Rahab, they settled Bethlehem. House of bread. Can you imagine what was going on in Rahab's mind? How did I get from that to this? You think she'd say, well, it's just because I, I was such a good girl. <laughs> Are you kidding me? She could come to no other conclusion than it is by God's grace and God's mercy. Who am I and what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? You see? So what, whoever you may be, if you're a young lady looking for a spouse one day, or a young girl thinking about, that's something I need to be praying about now. And you need to be praying about it now. Moms and dad, if you're not praying about that, you need to be praying about it yesterday. <laughs> if you're a young man looking for a wife. If you're somewhere in between there dealing with some kind of sin. If you're dealing with something that's troubling, I just can't seem to get... Let me tell you, Jericho, the walls have already tumbled down. God has tumbled those down on the cross. And if, if you think there's no hope for you, look at the example of Rahab. There is hope for you, child of grace. There can be no other sadder story than this. Rahab goes from rags, deadness, to riches. See, listen, last verse I'm going to give you is one of the favorite places that you like to go and read at times when you're trying to go to sleep at night. One of the most boring, and I do the little quotes, boring parts of the Bible, Matthew 1 where you have those wonderful sleepy time genealogies, right? Go read a genealogy. Put yourself to sleep. 
Matthew 1, and chapter, verse 1, it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. You see that? Don't you know those Pharisees looked at that and they said, let's don't put that in there. Oh, let's don't put that in there. Oh, she didn't keep the law. She wasn't the natural Israelite. She didn't do the things right. She didn't hit all the check marks. She didn't do all the things she was supposed to do. Let's don't put that name in there. But uh, she stands as a testimony to the grace and mercy of God that if Rahab's name can be in the line of Jesus Christ, if Rahab can be a great, great, however many great grandmother to the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's hope for you. There's hope for me. And by the way, you are in the line of Jesus Christ because because he's adopted you into his family. Amen. Let me tell you, it's not about hitting all the check marks because the people that think they hit all the check marks and the checklists, guess what? Those people are legalists. And they think that makes them somehow greater and somehow better. So God levels the playing field every now and then for us to understand. God saves a thief on the cross to see where he didn't keep the checklist. He didn't make the mark. He didn't hold up his end of the bargain. He didn't even know there was a bargain. You see, that's how God deals with the legalists. And so the legalist scratches their head and they go, well, but I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm making it right and I'm, I'm living the, the way I'm supposed to be living. That's great to live the way you're supposed to be living. It's wonderful to hit the checklist. It's wonderful to make all of those, those things happen in your life. Do it. Keep it up. I'm your primary cheerleader for that. Praise God. But don't start thinking that that's how you gain favor with God. Let me tell you, you gain favor with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the scarlet line is in your window. The blood has made you righteous. The reason you have a desire to do what is right. The reason you have a desire to serve God is because the blood has covered you. The reason that Rahab the harlot confessed the Jehovah God and said He's the only one, He's the only God, He's the God of gods is because the blood of Jesus Christ had been applied to her. She'd been touched by the Spirit of God. And child of grace, if you're hitting the checklist, praise God, keep it up, keep it going. You need to do that. You encourage me by doing that. But I tell you, child of grace, if you've missed every check mark, if you've missed every checklist in your life, I tell you the blood of Christ has covered you. The blood of Christ has saved you. And there's no better time than today than to hide the messengers. <laughs> she hid the messengers. Are you? Are you hiding the message of God? Like Rahab did? I tell you, child of grace. Make the checklist. Hit them all. Do it right. Honor God. But don't forget about Rahab. That there's nobody beyond God's touching. There's nobody beyond God's reach. They may be beyond your reach. And sadly, I've seen circumstances where many people have been beyond my reach. And that's just when I commit them or commend them to a righteous and holy intervening God who can take care of what I can't take care of. Mom and dad had let Rahab go. She's doing what she's doing and there's nothing we can do about it. But can you imagine that day when a knock came on mom and dad's door? And there she was, probably with a veil on. So, honey, it's right. It's our daughter. Can we help you? You need some money? I mean, what's going on? She says, I just want you to come to my house. Maybe I've got a meal fixed for you. Please. You think she may have got down on her knees and on her face and just begged them? Nothing bad's going to happen at my house on this day for you. There's not going to be any terrible things going on. Just come. Let me feed you. Just come and sit with me for a while. You see, God's not beyond reaching Rahab. 
But maybe we are. But God's never beyond reaching one of his children.